Customers are rushing to your store. Do you have a point of sale system you can trust or is it a mm, real POS? You need Shopify for retail. Shopify POS is your command center for your retail store. From accepting payments to managing inventory, Shopify has everything you need to sell in person. With Shopify, you get a powerhouse selling partner that effortlessly unites your in-person and online sales into the one source of truth. Track every sale across your business in one place and know exactly what's in stock. Connect with customers in line and online. Shopify helps you drive store traffic with plug and play tools built for marketing campaigns from TikTok to Instagram and beyond. Get hardware that fits your business. Take payments by smartphone, transform your tablet into a point of sale system, or use Shopify's POS Go mobile device for a battle-tested solution. Plus, Shopify's award-winning help is there to support your success every step of the way. Do retail right with Shopify. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash theathletic, all lowercase. Go to shopify.com slash theathletic to take your retail business to the next level today. Shopify.com slash theathletic. The Athletic. Hello everyone, this is From the Rookery End, the Watford FC podcast brought to you by The Athletic and I am Adam Leventhal, back once again, the Watford correspondent for The Athletic and alongside me this week is Mike Parkin. How are you, Mike? Come on, you ones. I got it all out of my system on, on Saturday after the Newcastle game. There's no way they'll ever play that badly again. I am ready to rock and roll, my friend. Come on, you ones. Oh, I like that, I like that, I like that. And Dave is here as well. Dave, how are you? I'm very well. I'm very good. A um, bit more optimistic um, than I was probably the last time you heard me. We'll get into that later. But um, I'm gonna I'm gonna throw something to you guys first off, just to just to get us just to get us going, to get us warmed up. Right, we've had a question from listener Jamie Parkin. I don't know if that's a relation, Mike. Probably, probably is. Um, Isn't he Jamie Parkins? So he's what's. What's worse than a parking? A parkings. <laughs> um, he says, which player, past or present, is best suited to being the next 007? Oh, well, easy. Oh, go on there, Mike. Marco Cassetti. Oh, yeah. You think, though, that Bond doesn't have a beard, does he? The next Bond does, because it's Marco Cassetti. <laughs> OK. OK. I can see where you're going, for that, with, going with that, with the suaveness. Yeah. Um, but I'm not, I'm not sure I'm having him. I'm not having him. It's a tough one. Hang on a minute. Some past or present? Well, I'll tell you what, while you're thinking, I'll give you a, Watford, a good Watford ex-player baddie. Because he just looks the part. Sebastian Prudel, I think, would be an amazing oh, yeah. Bond baddie. Sort of a good henchman. Some sort of, yeah, and an amazing tailored suit with some sort of um, quite exotic pet, either on his lap or on a, on a diamond-encrusted lead walking around. I think Sebastian Prodel would be an amazing baddie. That's a good shout on on Prodel. He was in he was in London this week, I think, um, filming Sebastian the new Bond. Prodel. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, <laughs> I'll give you someone. Maybe he's a t- maybe a touch on the on the shorter side, so maybe that might not tick everyone's boxes. But due to the fact that he's linguistically gifted, he can look sharp. He moves in mysterious ways often. I will give you 
Alman Abdi. Interesting. He's sort of in the Daniel Craig yeah. envelope. He's kind of he's like a maybe a shorter, less tough version of, of Daniel Craig. But I think actually, having thought about it, there's only one answer, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. I think we've arrived at the same place at the same time. The name's Bond, Jonathan Bond. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> And he's doing very, very well at the moment out in the States as a double agent. He's, and he could he could be doing battle with all Watford former goalkeepers. So the, you know, dastardly Jorelio Gomez sort of in his Brazilian <laughs> layer in a volcano or something. Um, and then the madcap Tony Coton just uh, sort of crashing cars in the background. Yeah, and Espen Bardson just running around with his uh, rifles or whatever he used to. <laughs> really and then best ben Foster filming it all. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. That's an interesting start. Okay, so we've, no, we've No space for any plumbly though. No, Gary Plumley, sorry. Well, he'd be serving the uh, martinis. Yeah. <laughs> what a cast! We might be onto something here. <laughs> Just to let you know what's go- what else is going to be um, happening on on this podcast. We're going to be pulling apart some of the the news stories over the past week. Um, Boo! More Bond! More Bond! More Bond! Yeah, I know that might actually be more enjoyable if we stick to that. But just to let you know how we're going to be doing it. Yeah, Leeds, the international break coming up. Talking about Shisco Munoz some of the selection issues, and then we will be getting the, the Leeds view a little bit later on in the show. So let's start with the latest article which dropped on The Athletic this morning, and it is basically focusing on the elephant in the room. Everyone's thinking it. Everyone's maybe talking about it. Some people will have slightly different views on it, I think, and that is people are wondering if Watford lose against Leeds at Ellen Road, what is going to happen to Shisco Munoz? And what I tried to do is, you know, for people outside the Watford bubble, but also for people inside that might have alternative views, to just try and weigh up some of the thinking about how, you know, the hierarchy at Watford, you know, might be viewing the situation, whether they're right to be thinking like that, what they might draw upon, you know, the history, recent experiences, past experiences trying to contextualise some of the results that we've had, maybe some of the tactical failings, maybe trying to bring into the fact that there has been a lot of change at the the football club, and then just trying to work out where it all sort of boils down to in the end. Mike, Dave, you know, what's your sort of feeling on on the situation at the moment? And is it fair to even be talking about it? At the moment, I think it is fair, and I've seen a lot of people, Watford supporters, including, suggesting that it's entitled to suggest that um, Cisco Munoz might be uh, in line for perhaps a difficult couple of weeks. And I don't think that's the case. I think the reality is that we've seen, as you outlined in the piece, we have seen um, Gino Pozzo be very, very decisive when it comes to changing the head coach. So us talking about him being removed or replaced isn't saying that we want it, isn't saying that it should happen, isn't saying it's right, isn't saying it's wrong. It's recognising that it's, it's the chance, there's a high chance of it, because it's happened again and again in the past. So I think it's important to to to, to put that caveat around the whole conversation. We're having it because it's happened a lot. Um, now, uh, you'd have heard after the Newcastle game, I was pretty downbeat I was pretty despondent about the about the performance and I, I bent both your ears about it um and I bet everyone listening to the podcast is about it but the, the biggest issue I had with that game is that we, we looked incredibly disorganized 
against a team who is in absolute disarray on and on and off the pitch. And we did we just didn't look able to to carry the fight to to Newcastle. And we didn't look like we had a a game plan. We didn't look like we had an approach. We didn't look like we had an identity, which we've talked about previously on the podcast. And I think that is a big issue for Cisco Munoz against the backdrop of what we've already established that head coaches are basically on thin ice from the first time they walk into Vicarage Rows. I think you have to at least have a team looking like it's the part. And for me, they didn't look anything like it on Saturday. And therefore, it's, it, I think it's only right that we, and, and sensible that we have the, to have the conversation. And Mike, I, I completely understand what you're saying. But I, I chose to, to watch the, the extended highlights of the Newcastle game before doing the, the podcast. And when you look at it, there were occasions, obviously, where Watford were being unnecessarily pulled apart and and a lot of it centered on individual errors like just simple things like picking up Sean Longstaff on on the edge of the penalty box he had two warning shots before yeah. actually scoring uh, the goal which i found a little bit worrying it seemed to stick out like a sore thumb to me obviously there was the mistake from from Ben Foster and and for anyone that says oh yeah you know it, it it was a it was a good effort and all that sort of stuff as i mentioned in the piece that i did after the game you just need to look at the reaction of Ben Foster. He wouldn't have been punching the floor if he thought that he'd done his best. You know, he'd performed to his his best. And then later on in the game, that second half, the latter part of that, that second half, it basically just turned into a basketball match, which we've seen for other games as well, like the Brentford against Liverpool game, for example. It was just sort of end-to-end, just very little in midfield. Dave, from your point of view, I mean, I mentioned it in the piece that we don't get a running commentary from the Watford hierarchy about, oh, yeah, no, Shisko's doing OK and, and things like that. But there have been a little bit of a glimpse. There's been a little bit of a glimpse from Cristiano Gioretta, the, the sporting director, just talking on on social media and, and saying things like, you know, it's not enough. We must grow up quickly, guys, because we know how to do better. And he was very disappointed after the Stoke game. Do you sense that that they are now feeling oh yeah we're sort of getting to the we're getting to the moment where he needs to deliver a really really strong performance a cohesive performance because that's something that he has mentioned himself Shisco Munoz that we haven't been able to to string together a decent performance from from minute one to 90 have we well the uh, last sporting director went on record with you Adam saying that basically (laughs) it's only Gino's decision that counts at the end of the day (laughs) So if that's still the case, it doesn't matter how many tweets Cristiano Giretta sends out. If Gino, if Gino decides it's time, then it's time. I don't think we're there yet. I really don't. I mean, I think, Mike, you're completely correct to, to say all the things that you said in terms of we're right to be be sort of alive to the prospect that, that it could turn at any moment. And, a, and, a, and a, a battering at Leeds, you know, an abject performance at Leeds... Uh, could be the thing that turns it but also you'd like to think that it's not solely just the performances maybe they're they're the most important thing the performances and the results are the most important things but also it's the you know the stuff that Gino sees at the training ground and it's the relationships and the atmosphere and 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 the conversations that he's having with Cisco that would leave him to you know decide that maybe you know I've either got confidence in this man or not I, as I said, I don't. I don't feel that we're quite there yet. It doesn't feel to me as desperate as it was under Kike the second time round. It doesn't feel to me as alarming as it was 
or, or you know, in the early day, in the in the heavy second uh, post cup final season, we all sort of felt that something wasn't right. Maybe the I, you know, the answer perhaps in hindsight wasn't to get rid of the manager, but we all definitely felt something wasn't wrong, wasn't right at the start of that season. I I don't feel that. I don't look at these performances and, and, and feeling around the club at the moment and go, oh, something's not right. I definitely feel that there's massively room for improvement and, there, and there's been a lot of errors and there's been a lot of worrying signs in, our, in, in isolation in our performances. But the whole of it, the whole piece together doesn't feel, doesn't feel out of control or, or, or abject. It doesn't feel like the players are given up. It all sort of feels like they're trying their best. The be- their best may proved to be not good enough but it feels like to me that they're kind of heading you know that they're on the right track they're doing their best and you know hopefully Gino will take that into account but ultimately as I said I think if we if we get battered against Leeds on Saturday then I think we will all be I'll, I'll be you know sitting by my phone on Sunday morning waiting for the tweet to come through I think we need to be careful about that looking forward if we get battered in the next game if this happens if that happens I think what was really interesting is look looking at Watford's body of work so far you shared it Dave I can't remember it it was one of the the broadcasters that was at the game at Vicarage Road and he was quite effusive about the game itself he, he alluded to what you said Adam it was it was energetic full of incident and as someone who was watching it a lot more impartially than any of us three he said Watford are going to be all right he said they're certainly not as bad as some Watford fans are suggesting hold my hand up up to that and he completely neutral completely impartial saw enough in that performance to suggest that Watford had enough about them but you know what my issue with that is Mike you know listening to the various pundits and you know radio presenters tv presenters out there reading the athletic and stuff talking to my colleagues basically I've heard I've heard everyone say they're going to be all right about every team in the relegation battle <laughs> apart from Norwich uh, the consensus is that Norwich are going to be are not going to be okay you worry for Norwich yeah. but everyone not everyone's going to be all right who's who's not going to be all right if, it's, if, I, if we are. My point is, I think sometimes we probably, and I'm probably talking to myself here, giving myself a bit of a ticking yeah. off, take a step back and actually look at the league, which is actually shaping up in a really interesting way, isn't it? There's some teams that are struggling, one of which we're playing on, on Saturday. They haven't won yet this season. And there's an, I think there's five or six teams who haven't won yet this season. And you know that could be for a whole host of reasons. But we're, you know, we're actually in mid-table-ish. Uh, some good performances, some not so good, some pretty naff. Um, but for a team that's just been promoted, I think it's not necessarily the it's not necessarily a terrible record, is it? And I think it's very, very difficult for us as Watford fans. As I said at the top, we've seen it. We understand what what happens. We're almost programmed to expect it. And we sort of look with trepidation to the next game. If we get battered in the next game, then this is is going to happen. And perhaps it's perhaps we need to be more confident as as supporters that this might just work out. I just wanted to mention a few people that have asked about this subject and, and there were a fair few. Ryan South, Oliver Ornitz on Twitter, uh, Richard Steeden had mentioned about, you know, Cristiano Giretta's tweets. Um, I'll come on to a question from, from Andrew Mitchell in a moment, perhaps when we wrap up this this section. But a couple of the sort of the elements in the, in the piece that I've written looks at maybe how they will be guided by that season, that 2019-20 season, when perhaps with hindsight, although things weren't quite right after the cup final going into the beginning of that season, maybe it was maybe too soon to get rid of of Javi and they should have maybe shown a little bit more faith with him. Maybe they did make a mistake in bringing Kike Sanchez-Flores back in the first place and then giving him too much time, especially going into an international break. You know, he actually bought himself a little bit more time by 
by winning a game against uh, Norwich and then subsequent to that there was defeats against Burnley and Southampton but it just wasn't working but one thing that I think is has changed which we haven't really ever seen came under Shisko last season and we've talked about it a lot but I think it it does sort of reflect one one of the things that Cristiano Giretta actually uses quite a lot on his social media he, he uses the hashtag never give up and last season, there was that opportunity, that tipping point where things were not going in the right direction for um, Shisko. After nine games, which is not a bad amount of games for, for some Watford head coaches to, to have had in charge. And they actually decided, no, come on, let's let's knuckle down and let's work, work at this. Let's get all the, the senior players together and let's work at it. Let's not fracture. Let's try and rebuild. Let's get a, you know, a a plaster cast over it and try and see if we can manage this situation. So it will be very, very interesting indeed to see how it pans out over the next couple of weeks because what is also part of this is the run that we have after the international break. We face the current top five in our next eight games and the other three games are Southampton, Leicester and Arsenal. Arsenal and Leicester, you would expect to rise up the table and be part of the top half anyway. Yes, Southampton are going to be in the mix with us, potentially, so you'd have to be picking up some points in that. But realistically, it might only be, you know, one game out of that next eight, all the way up until December, that you've realistically got a chance of actually picking some points up in. So do you try and chance your arm and and try and get a, a new manager bounce? You know, this is all... This is all sort of relying on the fact that maybe things don't, aren't, go, aren't going to go to plan at Leeds. But how do you think this is going to pan out? And do you feel that there is a change in, in the way that they want to manage, manage changing head coaches ultimately? I think one thing that we, well, that we forget about the current situation and about, about Cisco is how incredibly inexperienced he still is. I wonder whether that plays into their thinking at all in terms of... We've trust. We've given this guy a chance. It's his first big job, really, in football. He was at Dinamo Tbilisi before, which is, you know, obviously not on the same level as as, as managing a Premier League team. We need to help him. If we believe in him, if we see something in him, we need to help him. We need to support him. We need to, you know, back this guy. There's no use, keep, you know, taking a punt on him and getting rid of him at the first sign of of trouble. He's in his career so far. He's only, according to Wikipedia, um, which I think is referenced from a reliable source, um, he's only managed 46 games in his whole career. He's only lost 13 of those 46 games. So he's actually not got experience at the thing that he is going to be doing this season just by definition of, be, of being where we are, and that's losing games. He's not used to losing games and, ha- and having runs of games where he loses consistently. And that's something you need to learn about how you deal with it. How do you keep the mentality of the dressing room up? How do you keep your own head? How do you, you, know, how do you sit, steer through the troubled waters and say, this is, you know, okay, we lost to Man City, we lost to Chelsea, we lost to Man United, but we need to keep going. We're doing the right things. Like He's not been in that situation much before obviously he, he can draw from his experience as a, as a player he might have you know someone like Rafa Benitez who he could lean on or other coaches or influences in his life but I do think we it, it on the one hand it's easy to easy to sort of look at his inexperience and go oh that that is a negative thing and say oh you know the bloke is so inexperienced he's not cut out for it at this level but on the other hand we've got to maybe give him patience because of it 
Because the one thing he has got is experience, albeit short term, but that's all you get really at Watford at the moment, is is experience with this team of players. And he turned them round last year. He had an impact when he came in. He's tasted success at Vicarage Rose. So he has got, it does look like the players are playing for him. Adam, as you said, continually really, and I think it's it's right to say so, that the players look like they are playing for, for Watford and for Cisco. They look happy, they look confident, they look committed. And I think you have to give Cisco and his team Credit for that. Now, we've talked about the games that are coming up and whether a new manager might give us a new manager bounce. But the reality is that we face Liverpool, Everton, Arsenal, Man United, Leicester, Chelsea, Man United, uh, sorry, Man City. Who is going to come in and do a better job than Cisco against those those teams? The reality is there aren't many managers that you would put any money on to come in and deliver results against them. The chances are whoever comes in and I know we have we have a history of of unearthing decent results against the top six every every season. We do turn one or two in, but so if we change, is the expectation with this run of games coming? Is the expectation that we get three more points, six more points, nine more points? Because I think that's completely unrealistic. Looking at those those fixtures, it may be that we we do, but. In reality, if we're looking for a, a, a new manager to come in and have an immediate impact and sort of steady the ship, if indeed it does need steadying at this early stage, is it realistic to expect it with that with that coming round the corner? It's not. And, and whoever it is, if that happens, again, I know we're talking about a lot of hypothetical situations today. We might win on Saturday and this is all moot point. Hopefully that's the case. Absolutely. But, you know, look on their past record, they've got just as many wrong as they have right, really. Um and you know, there's no that there are there are there people out there that could get a, tube, a better tune out of this Watford squad and maybe have a better chance of getting points against the bigger teams than Cisco. I would say probably yes. In the world of football, obviously yes. But you can't have your pick. You can't just go and cherry pick whoever you want. You have to be realistic. Who's going to come to Watford? Look at the sort of people they've appointed in recent years. It's going to be a gamble, whoever it is. It, it, it is not going to be somebody at the top level with a, with a proven track record, you wouldn't, you wouldn't think. So it could go well. It might not go well. It's probably going to be somebody with a similar sort of CV, kind of from the same sort of place as Cisco. So we may as well stick with it, I suppose, is what I'm saying, because... It, I think you're right. It would be very hard to rip the script up from this point and see and see how see how it goes. But we just know that it might happen. We mm. can't we can't rule it out. And there are there are huge question marks. I think about how I just go back to how Watford played in that game against Newcastle. I thought there was the pattern of play and just the way they were set up looked dodgy to me. And ultimately, that that lies with the with the head coach. So. It's it's fifty fifty, isn't it, at the moment? But it's as always with Watford, as always with the managerial situation. It's it's fascinating and could change almost at any given time. Couldn't it? Adam, you 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 obviously talk to Cisco on a regular basis. You know, press conferences, before and after matches. You're at every game. You can observe him. Do you think he? You know, how do you think he's doing in himself? Do you, do you get do you get the, the impression that he's happy, that he's confident, that he's learning? I think the last word that you use there learning is exactly what he has been doing on on the job but we have to also give him the, the the respect that he deserves that it's not like it's not like you or I going in there yes he's inexperienced and you know spoken about his time in Dynamo Tbilisi and all that sort of stuff but he has been in big situations he has big you know he's been in big atmospheres it's how much of a departure that is to be able to get your point across when you when you need to in in big situations in in, in when you are the head coach rather than being a, a player and 
And I think that that is still maybe something that he's he's learning to do, especially in, in his second language, which which is not going to be easy. But I think that the players around him see that he's a good human being. Also, and it's a word that he uses a lot, he's humble. So it's not like he's he's giving them these orders and sort of blindly going, do this, do this, do this, do this. And they're all looking around and going, is he is he mad? This That's completely the wrong thing to do. There is seemingly a good sort of to and fro with the with all of the players there's a good to and fro with Tom Cleverley so there seems to be a good connection with what what is going on in the in the dressing room Tom Cleverley's spoken about that before so i think there are there are elements in how he is learning on the job and moving forward in the role that are positive so it's almost like yeah let's just see how this pans out because there is a loyalty with with some of the players and and I think that that is something to build on rather than sort of go look that you know downing tools he's lost the dressing room and all that sort of stuff all the cliches remember a lot of those big characters that potentially might have been able to go upstairs and go yeah no no no, he's not the right man not saying that that definitely happened but there will have been conversations here and there or there will have been inclinations from senior players in the past I don't think that's necessarily happening now and we will only be able to see what happens after the game at Leeds United this weekend. And I'll, I'll be brutally honest, I've got my fingers crossed for him. I, I hope that it goes well because it would be nice, wouldn't it, as Watford fans, to be able to just sort of go, yeah, 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 he's still in charge. Yeah, we're having a rough patch, but he's still in charge. Deal with it. You know, fair enough. It happens at other clubs. Can you at least pick out an example of somebody that they persisted with and they ended up staying up? <laughs> well... <laughs> Yes, I, I, there is that point, but then you know immediately in the in the in the minds of of the hierarchy will be well we got it wrong the last time so let's try something different you know let's let's give it a go and I suppose that touches on that point I was going to mention from Andrew Mitchell talking about expectation and entitlement and I know Mike you mentioned the word entitlement earlier on but I mean I finish off the piece and hopefully people will go off and read it um, that let's let's reset a little bit and and remember. Remember that it might actually serve us well to to be the ones that are the underdogs, to be fighting against these bigger clubs. You know, the egos got out of control in 2019-20 and they thought that they belonged and it was going to work itself out. It's good now to be able to go, come on, let's really fight for this. Because there was a little bit of a sense that we might just be able to turn up having beaten Norwich against Newcastle and do exactly the same thing. And that didn't happen. So it's a good little reality check that. And, you know, go to Leeds, try and shut up shop, try and silence the crowd. And then let's see if we can hit them on the break, get in space behind. And, you know, let's see see what we can do. So let's see what happens. Let's see what happens. If you want to read the article, the latest article and all the other writing that I've done on Watford over the last few months and, and years, you can go to theathletic.com forward slash rookery end. And by listening to From the Rookery End, you get a discount of 33%, which gives you a subscription, new subscription, for about £3.33 a month, which is well, well worth it. Not just for my writing, but for all the other writing that you get on The Athletic. So it would be great to have you on board. A Watford FC podcast brought to you by The Athletic. This is From the Rookery End. So we've talked about uh, the head coach. We're going to look ahead with Phil Hay to uh, Leeds a little bit later on in the show. And we're going to reflect with a little bit of a selection challenge on, on Newcastle in a moment's time. But Dave, you've got something for us, have you? 
Yeah, well, look, I know we um, we want to move on. We want to look forward and be optimistic. But, Mike, you were so, so downbeat, even by your standards, mm-hmm. in, in the last podcast, immediately after the Newcastle game. Perhaps not without good reason, but I thought I would just uh, have a little listen this week to uh, the counterpart podcast uh, for Newcastle that we have at The Athletic Pod on the Tyne. Very good podcast, actually, that one. And um, I just thought I'd see what they thought about the game and how they were feeling about stuff. And sometimes it's interesting just to hear what other clubs are feeling about themselves. And maybe, just maybe, this might just make you feel a little bit better about our lot mm-hmm. in the world. I just couldn't I couldn't believe that we hadn't won the game. And it was yeah. it was when we were 1-0 up, it genuinely looked like there was only team only one team going to win it. And we should yeah, have been three, even 4-0 up by half-time. And you when should. it went to 1-1... I just thought it's so typical of us, but I just couldn't yeah. believe that we had done it again. It's almost <laughs> like they never learned from their mistakes, you know? Uh, but the sucker punch, Chris, came again from a, a, a poorly defended set piece. I, at the minute, it kind of feels like every time Newcastle face a corner, that something dangerous is going to happen. And, and of course, there was a flick on and then Saar pulled away at the back post and nodded at home. This keeps happening, doesn't it? They, they don't look particularly organised back there. Well, they keep conceding sloppy goals. In, in Newcastle's games this season, their matches average 3.5 goals per game across both teams but Newcastle are only scoring 1.2 of those they're conceding 2.3 themselves per mm. game and that is the, that is the problem right. at the right. they're just but who cares about stats when you have to deal with Jacob Murphy going through one on one with a goalkeeper in the last few minutes of the game to seal all three points and let's be better, honest you know? John Anderson is all of us isn't he in this situation can he play a colleague through it's Jacob Murphy released Murphy one on one Jacob Murphy to win it oh just no. put it in the oh, net <laughs> oh, the frustration! Amazing. Oh dear. So if they can laugh about their plight, so can we, eh? You know, let's dig into it a little bit in terms of the lineup that we saw against Newcastle. We're just going to go through it. What is it exactly that should be changed, Dave? Go on. You 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 look after that. That back five, if you if you can. Yeah, it is notable that there has been a lot of chopping and changing so far this season. Obviously, there was the unchanged lineup up from the win to Norwich to Newcastle, but events transpired during that game, which meant the team was very different at the end of the game to the one that started. And then again, that's kind of thrown up all these questions again. I wouldn't change. I wouldn't change the goalkeeper. I saw Backman after the game. Actually, he was he was he was swimming swimming against the tide, making his way down Occupation Road, as everyone was getting away from the stadium and he was kind of sheepishly sort of saying hello to people and stuff. No sign of a limp though, so I don't really know if that knee, how, how bad that knee is. Um, but I wouldn't change it. I wouldn't change it. I I, I think Foster could have, uh, by his own admission, could have done better for that goal, but I, he made a lot of good saves in the game. Uh, kept us in it really, um, right right to the end. So I'd keep, I'd keep Ben. I'd keep Ben Foster there for, for now. Wouldn't change the, the full-backs. I, I, I don't know what's going on with... With Kiko, he went off again after an hour. Is that sort of the plan at the moment? Is he can he is he only got an hour in his legs at the moment, or is it just another injury again? That's or? what Munoz said after the game mm. that you know he's not at the moment able to to get through a whole game, which is frustrating. And we and we have seen that in the past that he likes all that tape on his legs, and you know he might just he might just be a little bit maybe a little bit you know might take a little bit longer than say someone else who's willing to sort of run through brick walls but that's you know each to their own different players you know take different paths but that is the situation with him at the moment but hopefully you know by the end by after the international break yeah he'll be fine 
to be able sure. to sort of kick through a whole 90 minutes. So, yeah. yeah. Well, I'm not changing the fullbacks. Danny Rose was good again, I thought, in the main. Um, his, his, his improvement continues as he tries to get back to his old self. Um, the centre-backs have been the topic of conversation, haven't they, really, this season, even before the season started. Cathcart's come in for the last few games... We won at Norwich, so it was easy to overlook maybe some of the hairy moments that he had in that game. But then watching those highlights, back, watching the game, being there, and then watching the highlights back, Cathcart did did stand out. I think he got pulled out of position a few times. He obviously made that, which can happen. He made a bad back pass. It's not characteristic of him, but it wasn't a good moment for him. He did recover and kind of put off Sam Maximan, which meant that the pass was behind Longstaff, which kind of helped. But... There were a few moments where I looked at that and thought, oh, OK, yeah, maybe maybe he shouldn't be starting, to be honest with you, with some of the people we've got. And, you know, the other, again, the big question mark is Sirauta wasn't on the bench again. Why is that? We still don't we still don't have a, you know, we've got a vague sort of response, you know, answer from Cisco about sort of technical decisions and and this sort of thing. But I'd love it's to kind of get to the bottom of it. But yeah, obviously doesn't feel he's good That's enough at the moment. Yeah. But I was just in response to a question on our WhatsApp group the other day when we were talking about the centre-backs and we were saying, could we change it? And what's the best mix? And what are they there to do? What are their strengths and weaknesses? I think it was Geordie who said, oh, you know, we obviously want to play out from the back, but we haven't got any centre-backs who are capable of doing that. So I thought I'd just have a bit of a look at the stats. And this is a small sample size, sort of quite brief look look at the stats just from this season. So, you know, you can't read always read too much into it over such a small amount of games but it was quite interesting nonetheless to look at the look at the stats so far Sierra is streets ahead in terms of his pass completion he's got a 96.2 pass completion rate this season obviously he's played fewer minutes than than Trooster Kong and Cathcart so you take take that into account but he's still miles ahead of the other two Cathcart is down at 81% Trooster Kong's at 87.7% if you delve into it further and you look at the long passes that they've attempted so that's something that's important for switching the play out to Kiko, out to Sarah, out to the left-hand side. And we do try and go along to the front players as well sometimes. Then you really do start to get you know another difference. Cathcart's way down at 67.4% at a completion at his long passes. Serralto has completed 28 out of 29 long passes that he's attempted in the matches he's played this season. Uh, Kong is about 76%, so he's somewhere in between the two. But just from that small sample size... And from our eyes and what we've seen of him playing when he has played, we know Sierra is more comfortable on the ball. He's better at bringing it out of the, uh, from the back than than the others. So I would have him in there for that reason. And I don't think he's a bad defender either. Trusta Kong, as we've talked about, is not always the most composed and doesn't always make the right choices, although his stats were a bit higher than I thought they would be. Um, but he's a good defender and he's clearly a big character. He's a leader. I've got a lot of time for him. So I'd have him in there. I'd have him with Sierra. I think that is... That is our best partnership. So I'd, I would like to see Sirauta back in um, against Leeds. You know, we've got to take into account the opposition as well. Leeds are a team full of movement, full of pressing. They're going to press us relentlessly. They're also going to be moving around. Players are going to be swapping positions. They're going to be all over us. So it could be a difficult afternoon for Cathcart in that respect. And we don't want Trusta Kong to be the lead ball-playing defender in that game either. So I'd put Sirauta back in for that reason. I think a lot of people are still confused and I don't think we've quite got to the bottom of exactly why uh, Sierralta has been sort of um, ostracised in the way that he has been. But then again, you know, it might be simply down to that sort of experience factor and the fact that Ben Foster came in, Cathcart came in, you know, it was sort of joining up with with his good mate uh, Tom Cleverley as well. So it's like, you know, let's try and get an experienced set of players 
in the starting lineup and, and see how that goes. Do you know one, one more thing quickly before we move on is, again, I think Jordy pointed this out. Um, I didn't really think about it until then. We don't have a left-footed centre-back. When your strength is on the right-hand side and you want to get those balls out to the right-hand side, it's a lot easier to do that with your, you know, naturally without moving your body shape or taking an extra touch if you're left-footed. Which I'll be wondering, it would be interesting to know whether the recruitment team are, you know, that's something they think about. Um, I've I've done podcasts on, uh, you know, with Michael Cox and some of our, our data guys specifically about the, the, the notion of how important left foot centre-backs are. You know, Laporte, when he signed for Man City, all of a sudden Pep Guardiola was talking about how he's completely changed the way we play because we can give it to him, he can open his body out, he can, he can create different angles. And again, if we're going to try and play out from the back and we're going to be that sort of team going forward, it's something to think about as well. Now, it's interesting that you mentioned that and, and hopefully that sort of is a decent response to the questions that we got from John Moran in the zone as well and Lee Jackson as well who suggested that maybe just Shisco Munoz is cutting off his nose to spite his face by not selecting Sierra so it'll be interesting to see what happens on Saturday at Ellen Road right I'm going to take charge of, of the midfield I think there's sort of a, a, a quite a few ways to, to look at this one but I don't think that there is much wrong with the, the players that have been selected so far I think that there has been subtle changes recently, changing it from having someone sitting completely on their own with two advanced sort of number eights, so a six and then two eights. I think it is now more two sixes and then three in front. So it's a, more of a four, two, three, one. And, and Musa Sissoko seems to have been given that role to, to pick up the ball from the back. I don't necessarily know if that is particularly suited to his his way of of playing maybe it turns the screw a little bit on him and maybe he's more comfortable picking up that first pass and then carrying the ball over the halfway line but I think what they have now got is a clear alternative to to Tom Cleverley in Ozan Tufan I think that having Musa Sissoko there and Yuri Kutska as a as a two in midfield in front of a back four adds adds great protection and then I think if it is Tom Cleverley his energy is there. And I think, what uh, you know, just looking back to that Newcastle game, the fact that he got a massive whack in the, in the face, that literally just it knocked him sideways. And it meant that Watford's rhythm in that first half, it always comes from Tom Cleverley, you know, when he's been playing. And he really changed the dynamic against, against Norwich. Um, and I think Watford lost that a bit after he got that, that, that boot. If it's not working with Tom Cleverley as your more advanced midfielder, which is effectively you know a number ten, play Ozan Tufan and see what he's doing because he can certainly carry the ball forward. It doesn't work with him sitting, and we saw against Newcastle when the the order of the subs was a little bit higgledy piggledy. I mentioned it in the last piece that I did. He's not a sitter. He's one that wants to carry the ball and go over the halfway line and try and feed attackers. So, yeah, I would still go with Sissoko, Yuri Kutska, and either. Tom Cleverley or Ozan Tufan. And then I might nick one off you, Mike, if I don't, if you don't mind, that, yeah, I wouldn't mind just having Joao Pedro available to play that, that number 10 role or that advanced number eight role as and when I need him. But then, just because you're on, Dave, I am going to mention Imran Loser because <laughs> I would like to see him used in a game when you know there is there is sort of a feeling that we need to get on the ball we need to hold the ball more and control the sort of the tempo of the game 
And I'd like to see him used a little bit more as an alternative within games. Not, you know, I think he can do a job. Maybe when the pace of the game is is, is sort of dissipated a little bit. So maybe he could be a first change for maybe Uri Kutska. And then maybe he could sit and start to come and get the ball. But as it stands for Leeds, I've not, I've not really changed anything. Aside from maybe Tufan coming in for, for Cleverly. But I, I would still have Tom Cleverly in there because I, I love his energy. I love his leadership. Mike, take it away. You've got your front three. Well, you'll be pleased to know, lads, that I agree with both of you. So congratulations. You have the Mike Park and seal of approval. And it leads us on to, to, to the attack, doesn't it? Where he's got more questions to answer. And it's slightly frustrating because it, it felt like we had one of those questions answered, didn't it? When we thought Josh King had popped up, Joshua King, sorry, had uh, popped up with that with that late winner. And what I loved about that, I've been banging the drum for, for King for a little bit over the last couple of weeks. And I, and I stand by that. I think the whole way he... He operates as that number nine down the middle. He looks the part to me. And I loved his celebration on on Saturday when he thought he'd scored. That just enormous release, that just intense explosion of of delight, not just in the stands, but but from from Joshua King and his teammates. You see the way he looked when he got ruled out. When he saw when he saw the ref go to VAI, he was just sort of rolled his eyes, looked at heaven and thought, Oh, what more can I do? And, and that speaks to what we've been talking about him, doesn't it? That if he can get lift off, I think he could he could be a really, really important player for Watford. I think a lot of the thing we talk about is, is Premier League know-how and yada, yada, yada. He's got it. He's been around the block. He's had good times. He's had bad times. And if we can get him on an upward curve, I think he would be, he could be a really, really useful addition. The problem being, of course, he hasn't scored yet. And the longer that goes on, the more questions will be asked of the, from the management team, from the owners who are pre- presumably watching and how he's using these various players. And his confidence as well, of course, will will change as a result. And we've talked about the, 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 the run of games that are coming up. Chances are going to be at a premium, aren't they, for against Manchester City, against Manchester United, against Chelsea. So... If you're low on confidence going into those games, having not picked up goals in the, against the lesser teams, um, with all due respect to those guys, then we've got a question to ask. So it's about how we manage the goal scoring, isn't it? And it's how you manage someone like Joshua King who needs that goal, but so far hasn't hasn't got it. And the impact that has on on his teammates up there. So Ismail Assar and it's, uh, Emmanuel Dennis are the, are the other two in possession at the top. <clears throat> and what we're seeing is them sort of swap positions a little bit they drift don't they to try and catch the opposition out and some would say that that's not utilizing Ismail Assar in the best possible way we you know we I made the point on Saturday and it still rankles Um, I checked and it was just 29 30 minutes when Matt Ritchie got got booked for effectively surrendering and throwing his hands up and saying I can't deal with Ismail Assar we didn't get him in the game against him at all did we so that's another question that needs to be answered because he's our best player and we're not utilising him correctly at the moment so that needs to be sorted out and but I think that's a bit of a, a bit of an overstatement yeah we didn't use him enough maybe in that game but well we, we didn't use the, him enough though Dave, on the at whole, all on and, the whole we we are and but, but, but we maybe need to take into account the teams know we're going to do that so they may try their game plan part of their game plan might be to stop us getting the ball to him absolutely and and that is undoubtedly if you know if you are playing Watford you stop Ismail Assar absolutely but he's that good that quick, that talented, that he's too good for, for opposition defenders. Yeah. He, he was up, he was one-to-one with Matt Ritchie, and we saw with our own eyes what he thought of that, that match-up. He gave up. 
but and so we then had an hour to work out how we all we needed to do was get him booked so all you need to do is go past him one and once so the chances are there's going to be either be a chance or another yellow card and he's off and we're just not doing that. Yes, he scored four goals, one against Newcastle, who, as you uh, just played out on that podcast, Dave, they're an absolute mess. And the other team, he scored two against Norwich and they're relegated. So we have to be, <laughs> we have to be honest about this. Um, we're not getting the best out of him. And, and I actually thought Emmanuel Dennis probably didn't have his best game against, against Newcastle either. He sort of looked a little bit out of sorts, where, uh, where previously I think he's been... He's been a he's been a bright spot up there. So, Adam, you mentioned Jao Pedro coming on. I thought that that was incredible. I thought he just gave Watford a whole new dimension um, and a new sort of lease of life when he came on. He he reminded us who he is really because we haven't seen him all season. Brave, fearless, strong, skillful, not afraid to drive on, get into the box, getting to dangerous areas, which I think, to be honest, we haven't done enough. Can we get Jao Pedro into the game? I think probably those front three, Dennis King and Saar, deserve another shot at it against Leeds. I think it's a tantalising game. Could go either way for a whole whole host of reasons. But I think they deserve a shot at it because I think if they click, they could be absolutely lethal. And if we get people like Firminia um, and, and Danny Rose really, really confident, really bombing on and get that midfield sorted, if, there is, if we do start with Tufan playing more on the front foot, I think it it will play into the hands of those guys and ask more questions of defenders and allow us to utilise them them better. But I do think there is we're coming to a time where we're going to have to make a tough call because we're not scoring enough goals and there are people knocking on the door. Cucho Hernandez didn't get a game um, for the first time on, on, on Saturday. He didn't feature. He'll be, he'll be gagging to get back involved and he, he can ask questions of defenders. He's fleet of foot, isn't he, and, 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 and likes, likes driving on and looks like he's got something to offer. So, so for me, much like you guys, I'm keeping it, keeping it as, as you were, but I think we're on the cusp of potentially having to, having to change it. So we've sorted it out and we've changed only Craig Cathcart. <laughs> so that's basically that's basically job done. Well, we'll see what happens uh, against Leeds. But let's let's switch our focus to Leeds because it was great sort of getting the Newcastle perspective. Phil Hay is the, the wonderful Leeds correspondent for The Athletic. And let's just find out from him first the reasons that he thinks this has been an underwhelming start for Leeds this campaign. <laughs> A few factors are contributing to Leeds' start and it should be said first of all that they do have selection problems between injuries and the suspension to Pascal Strike and um, for that tackle um, that injured Liverpool's Harvey Elliott. They are below full strength and, and that is making a difference not only to the starting lineup but also to the bench. Bielsa does use a, a very small squad in comparison to a lot of other Premier League clubs and, and for that reason um, absentees are, are going to bite more. So, so that has definitely been a problem but I think beyond that, it seems pretty clear to me that with a couple of exceptions, a lot of the players are a little or a distance below the level that they peaked at last season when Leeds finished ninth. And I do feel that that has affected the form. I think as well, they failed to take big chances at key moments in games, both against Newcastle, but particularly against West Ham on Saturday when Matthias Cleek had that huge opportunity in the second half when Leeds were 1-0 up, missed it, and West Ham were back in the game in no time. It would be a slightly unfair reflection of the game, though, not to say that West Ham looked stronger towards the end, and to my mind looked like they were going to win the game from 1-1 onwards. And that is an issue, I feel, that previously you did fancy Leeds to win any game that they they were in you, you always felt that they had a chance I, I feel like this season so far 
are, they've looked an awful lot more vulnerable and they've they've looked more inclined to lose games uh, than to win them. So they do definitely need to get back to to form. They do definitely need to hit their peak, which they they haven't been at yet. Um, and and to an extent, I, I think they are suffering from the the failure to sign a central midfielder in the summer, which was a a position which really did need filling. So between you know all of this and and a drop in in their attacking stats, they're not quite where they should be. But I think the feeling around Ellen Road is that they still will be fine. Needless to say, though, this is a very very big game on Saturday. So there is a little bit of that second season syndrome that uh, Leeds are having to deal with at the moment. But having not won a game, they will be licking their lips with the visit of uh, Watford. Are they seeing this as their chance to get three points on the board for the first time this season? The fixtures haven't been overly kind to Leeds in the early part of the season. They've not been horrendous either, but they, they have played Manchester United, Liverpool, Everton and, and West Ham in the first six games. And they were always always going to be difficult. It was never going to be easy to, to take points from those fixtures. I think Newcastle away looked on paper like a very very winnable game, not least because of the descent that's been shown to Steve Bruce up there and, and the sort of feeling of mutiny around St James's Park. And that, in the end, did feel like two points dropped, even though Newcastle you know, looked like they, they might nick it at one point in the second half. The most disappointing performance for me would be Burnley away. I, I think that is where we all expected Leeds to go and turn up and be strong and, and to dominate. And, and in the end, it seemed to be Burnley who really had the measure of that game until Leeds equalised with four minutes to go. But what's coming up next, I think, is the period that is going to decide whether this will ultimately be a comfortable season for Leeds or, or whether there's going to be a fair amount of discomfort as it goes on. Um, Watford on Saturday, obviously, then Southampton, then Wolves and Norwich away who are, are yet to pick up a point and then all already look like they're, they're in serious trouble. Um, this period, I feel, has to, to yield six points, if, if not nine. And I think Watford at home with a, a crowd full house at, at Ellen Road definite fixture to target um, without any doubt Leeds need to take something from it and and I felt the crowd were very patient with them against West Ham even after the late winner from Mikhail Antonio but I don't think the same patience will be there if it goes wrong against Watford the really positive aspect of Saturday though despite the result to West Ham was the first half performance I, I thought that looked like Bielsa ball in full flow um, certainly in, in the best periods of it it was difficult for West Ham to cope with they found the variation of Leeds positioning the, the movement and the, the rapid exchanges of the ball hard to manage they didn't run for 90 minutes and I think that is now the key for Bielsa that he needs a complete performance um, but I do think there is optimism there that it, it will come this weekend So that's Phil Hay from a, a Leeds perspective and don't forget you can read um, all of his work which is which is brilliant on a whole range of topics but he is much loved um, up at Ellen Road and he is a great bloke as well you can read him on, on The Athletic uh, you can subscribe by going to The Athletic forward slash rookery end and you can get that discount if you're a new subscriber at 33% off at the moment um, but let's just finish with with a little bit of a rallying cry they don't do it enough I don't think uh, football clubs they don't allow fans into dressing rooms they need to start doing this maybe yeah. they need to start doing it on video you know, just, just well no <laughs> I think Mike get Mike in Right. So I'm going to give you both the opportunity just to end this episode. The players have been out for their warm up. They've come back in. You know, there's 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 the, the whiff of Raljex in the air. You know, they're all stood round in a, in a circle and they've invited you into the dressing room, Mike. And Dave, I'll give you a chance to, to add a little bit before they go out. Um, but Mike, what are you saying to the players? You know, with Sierra back in the side ahead of running out at a cauldron atmosphere at Ellen Road. Do not... My boys, fear 
the sound of Ellen Road. For that is the sound. Sa- it's an empty, pyrrhic noise. It is the sound not of confidence. It's the sound of fear. These are supporters trying to rise to rouse a team that haven't won all season. They thought they were going to be up there challenging for Europe. They're down there with the dead men and we can make it even worse for them. They fluff their lines every time they've stepped out on the pitch and that crowd will get very, very quiet very, very quickly if we play the way we know we can. Leeds are there to be got at, basically. Phil said it there. There won't be the patience against Watford that there has been in some of the earlier games, certainly not the the other home games. If we can get out there and make a good start, a solid start even, it doesn't even need to be spectacular. Stop them running over us. And we've talked about it. We've talked about where the quality is in this side. We know it's there. They're wobbly. Let's push them over. Let's get another three points. Let Adam enjoy his holiday. And Cisco can fo- turn his phone off without having to turn it on and getting a load of answer phone messages that he doesn't want to hear. <laughs> Dave, anything to add? I would um, address the team a few days earlier, actually. I'm, I'm going to take it back a few days. So I'm, 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 well, this is on Thursday, as, as, you, as you, the day this podcast goes out. I'm hoping that Cisco has sat them all down and made them sit through the matches that Leeds played against Manchester United earlier in the season, against Liverpool earlier in the season against Manchester United and Liverpool last season when they conceded lots of goals to both those sides. Those are just two examples. But basically, teams that have quick attacks and that can soak up pressure like those two can, can damage leads. Now, we may not be brilliant at soaking up pressure. That's where we're going to have to step up a bit, boys. But we have got the players to harm and to damage Leeds United. We've got pace. And we need to move the ball quickly to our in the transitions. When when Leeds lose the ball, they're open. They're, the, the way they play, they leave gaps all over the place. In the first sort of ten minutes against Liverpool, it was like it was like watching the last five minutes of the game we played against Newcastle. The game was completely stretched. That will be the case on Saturday, and their confidence will be fragile. They've got great, you know, they've got very good players in a lot of areas of the pitch. Rafinha is basically their, you know, their version of Ismail Assar. He is an excellent player that will probably move on from from them come the summer. So we've got to be wary of the of the weapons that they have, but let's not forget that we can do damage to this team. They're going to be difficult, they're going to harass us, they're going to be buzzing all around us, they're going to be in our faces. We had a sort of similar experience at Brighton, but these guys are even more aggressive. So be prepared for that. But when we get the ball, break quickly, break decisively, and we can do them. And if all else fails, we'll do what we did at the Millennium Stadium, which is let off loads of fireworks before kickoff and scare the living daylights out of them. <laughs> Check out that clip if you haven't seen it. There's, I can't remember which um, which Lee's player it is, but they do all the fireworks go off and someone jumps, don't they? They look very nervous about the, about the fireworks in that playoff final. So if all else fails, fireworks it is. Try and win it in the tunnel. That's what that's what it's all about. That's that's what it is against Leeds. Well, look, fingers crossed, gents. Let's hope it it goes to plan. I'm looking forward to being at Ellen Road, and uh, yeah, soaking up that atmosphere. And hopefully, hopefully, Watford can um, just silence the crowd and then kick on, and at the very least, come away with a, with a point from the game and head into the international break with with some positivity. We shall see. Dave, thank you very much indeed. Thank you. And Mike, 
Fingers crossed, eh? Yeah, it's going to take more than that, isn't it? Let's be honest. <laughs> no, <I'm> just... <laughs> yeah, look, I think I'm actually really excited about this game. I think this is a, this is a massive, massive opportunity. And uh, yeah, excited. Look, we're in the Premier League. We're mixing it with the big boys. It's where we want to be. Let's make the most of it. Come on, you Goldens. We will be reacting to the game at Ellen Road on the next podcast. And just to mark your card, uh, next Thursday for our next episode midweek, we have a very, very special guest. So make sure that you uh, tune in for that one. I'm not going to reveal all now, but you will have heard from him and you will enjoy hearing from him once again. Enjoy Ellen Road if you're going. If you're there, say hello and I will wave back and fingers crossed we can uh, we can come away with three points. Take care everyone. We'll see you soon. The Athletic.